3, Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Miss Lenny, thank you for giving that. That was a blessing. That was a blessing. That's very encouraging uh, just to hear how God works in people's lives. Uh, it's real life stuff. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not just stuff you hear about in a sermon, all right? It's not just an illustration. This is someone's life, and it's how God works. If we're willing to allow him, listen, if we're willing to let him in. And uh, we're looking at a church, <laughs> uh, the last church we're going to look at tonight in our series of uh, seven letters to seven churches. And we're looking at the last church in that list, and it just happens to be the church that has Jesus Christ on the outside. And he's trying to get inside, but the Lord is a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3, in verse number 14. And the angel of the, latest, of, the, of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the what? Amen. You realize when you're saying amen, you're just affirming who the Lord is? Right. He is the amen. We're going to dive into that a little bit. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. He knows all of it. Uh, he was there from the beginning. Amen. That's what the whole point is. Beginning of the creation of God. He has, been, he has been here the entire time. So if anyone has the ability to say something is right or wrong, it's him. All right. And he's setting it up that way. He's, he's kind of introducing himself as such for a reason. The Lord does not, with every single church, introduce himself with a different title or from a different angle for no reason. There's a reason why he says what he says. All right. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. In other words, pick which one. Right. He's almost like, I don't care which one, but pick one. <laughs> you know, uh, and look what it says here. Uh, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich. I would underline the words, I am. Anytime you say, I am, and it doesn't align with your identity with Christ, you're in trouble. Uh, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We're, we're looking at this contrast of I'm rich and I have goods, but, but from God's perspective, I'm poor and I'm miserable. You ever get what you want, and then once you have it, you're not happy? Anybody ever been there before? Right? Now, don't say amen if you just got married. That's a real, that's a, that's a, you guys, let's pray for him right now. Amen. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, look, look, if you would, at verse number 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. It, you notice, God doesn't want you being spiritually poor. He wants you. Think about this. Uh, lay up for yourselves. Think about that. Treasures in heaven. Not lay up for God. Lay up for yourself. God wants to appeal to the reality that he understands that you want something out of life. He just wants better for you than what you're looking at. All right. Uh, look, look at uh, verse 18. That thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We use this verse oftentimes to appeal to the lost sinner in regards to their need to accept Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with that practical application, all right? 
However, I want you to understand, he's, he, this is not the heart of a lost sinner he's talking about. This is the doors of a church, right. and he's on the outside. Let me tell you something. I want people to feel welcome here. I do. But I will never want people to feel welcome over God. Because once you go down that road, you are in trouble. If any man hear my voice, you know what that tells me? It's not hopeless. You realize you can live in Laodicea and you don't have to be Laodicean? If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Getting back to the basics. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Uh, Brother Jose, would you open us up in a word of prayer, sir? Amen. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that we, we don't, uh, we're not delayed or premature, Lord, that we can welcome you in and just uh, do everything based on you, Lord. And you, you want us to do that. Help us to surrender to you, Lord. And uh, uh, help us to prepare something to meditate tonight, Lord, and do this after. Give me a word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Now, I just want to say this again by way of introduction for those that have not been here for the whole series, that you might understand what we're doing we're looking at, at seven letters to seven churches because we are a local church. And there are lessons that you can glean from Revelation chapter 3, chapters 2 and 3 in regards to how churches handle things. And we're, we're, in, we're not perfect, amen? And, and so we need direction and we need guidance. And there's some practical admonition that's there in the passages. Uh, but also what we've been looking at is this. Uh, there are three applications to these things. Number one is historical. These are seven churches that actually existed in Asia Minor, uh, that's modern-day Turkey. And uh, John was commissioned by the Lord to write these things down for these seven churches. Now, there's also the practical, uh, or, or you could say the type, if you will, uh, of the fact that every one of these churches is a picture of a different period of time in church history. And when we're looking at Laodicea, that starts around 1900. And we'll delve into that a little bit more, all right? And what we talked about as well is the fact that doctrinally, there's an application to these churches over here in the Great Tribulation. Now, I don't want to confuse you too much. I, I want to make it very clear that uh, it, it, you're going to notice something. Look at chapter 4. We're going to come back to this by the end of the whole thing. Look at chapter 4 and look at verse 1. Uh, you know what chapter 4 verse 1 is a picture of? It's a picture of the rapture. I heard, as it were, a voice behind me talking to me, a voice of a trumpet, right? And what did that voice say? Come up hither. All right? So the churches hear that before all of the revelation that's of what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation takes place. All right? One more, one more uh, 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 I guess you could say, one more uh, factor that leans us in the direction of a pre-tribulation rapture. Look, if you want to be here during the tribulation, knock yourself out. I don't, I don't plan on being here. The Lord said He's not appointing us to wrath. And by the grace of God, we're not going to change our doctrine just because in the last days, people look at the news and try to interpret the Bible with the news. And they go, well, there's microchips and there's this and there's that. You don't do it that way. What you do is you say, what does God say about this? And, and, and let's stick with that regardless of what the headlines are. By the way, some of you may laugh, but you know what? When, uh, back in the 70s, when they came out with barcodes, on, anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, you know what they said? It's the mark of the beast. Now, some of you laugh at that, and you think that's hilarious, but that's what they did. 
And what I'm getting at is you can't interpret the Bible with the headlines. You've got to interpret the Bible with the Bible. <laughs> All right, and so uh, what we learn is this. God's going to take us out of here before uh, the... You say, why? Well, we've been through it a bajillion times, but I just want to point out one more time, in the event anyone is spending more time on YouTube than in their Bible, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, not the time of the church's trouble. Jacob is Israel. You're not Israel. If you don't believe that, go read Romans chapter 11. God is not done with that nation. They are going to come back, and the Bible says, all Israel shall be saved. When? When he comes back in the second coming, not at the rapture of the church, all right? So that being said, we've been looking at all these churches and looking at, at practical things that we can learn from them, and, and as well as understand there's things that are said to these churches that in some cases are doctrinal in nature that do not jive with the church or what we might say during this age of grace, but rather those that might be going through the great tribulation. You say it's not exactly the same? Absolutely not. Uh, let, me, let me say it this way, guys. Uh, I don't get saved by slitting a lamb's throat and and sacrificing a lamb, do you? You know why? Because something changed from here to here, (laughs) all right? And guess what? Over here, it's different. Uh, By the way, guys, during the apostles, I know some of you that were in discipleship class, you're like, I got this, great, praise God. But for those that aren't, let me just say this. When the disciples were alive, do you realize they did not have the Holy Spirit permanently living inside of them? God's promise to them was, I'm going to give it to you. The Lord's promise, I'm going to give it to you. You can't say things are exactly the same here as they are over here. They're not the same. And they're not going to be the same over here. You take the mark of the beast, Revelation chapter 14, man, uh, you're in trouble. You ever read uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and wonder what, how that fits in the New Testament uh, doctrine? You ever read Hebrews 6 where it says if someone uh, 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 falls away, they cannot be renewed again under repentance? And you go, what in the world does that mean? Because I know that if I go to Christ and I go to the Lord right now in the age of the church and I confess my sins, we're in fellowship. I never lost my salvation. All right, my, my body and my soul are separate, but man, over here, you put something on your body, and boy, it touches the real you. It touches the soul. You ever looked in the Old Testament? I'm sorry, somebody going like, where are we going? We're just buckle up, guys, buckle up. Midweek Bible study. All right, ever look in the Old Testament? It says, the soul that toucheth this unclean thing shall be unclean. Not the body, the soul. Why? Because they were joined. Before you got saved, do you realize why you go to hell if you, if you die without Christ? Because your body and your soul were one in the eyes of God. The moment you get saved, and this is good. This is better than the Super Bowl or, you know, whatever's going on, on the internet. This is way better than all that. The moment you got saved, God separated your flesh from your, your, your soul. So that when you sin in the flesh, it doesn't touch the real you. Now you've got Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you are sealed with the Spirit of God. All right, so I want to draw some lines so that we're very clear. The church does not go through the tribulation. All right? Uh, and uh, I, I think it's kind of funny when people say, no, no, that's how it's going to go. And what they do is they don't rightly divide the scriptures. And that's something we're learning as a church. You've got to do that. If you don't do that, you'll be all kinds of messed up. There's no way. You know what I think is really funny? Independent fundamental Baptists that teach once saved, always saved. And it's right to do that. But do that and then go to passages that are directed at people over here. And man, they could not get it. They're trying to explain. It's like watching someone twist and go like this, and they just can't seem to explain. You know why you can't explain it? Because you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> All right, you can't do it that way. All right, the idea is this God says the church is here. All right, I'm going to deal with Israel over here. I'm dealing with the church right here. You say, What's wrong with the church? Well, there's a picture of something from the Old Testament. You know what Israel does? Israel falls away from their God, they end up in apostasy. You know what God tells them? Don't worship false gods. Don't bow down to them. Don't marry their people. Don't take their customs. What does Israel do? Everything that God tells them not to do. All right, and you may go, man, Israel, shame, shame. That's that's how the church is. 
the Lord says, hey, there's some boundaries that need to be drawn. Don't, don't, don't erase those boundaries. And we go, what's the big deal? And every generation, and guys, I'll be honest with you, I'm getting real like kind of old fogey minded these days where I'm kind of seeing stuff in my lifetime I thought I'd never see. Christians doing things, I just thought, man, well, this is not, this is not our crowd. And it's our crowd justifying all the garbage that the world is putting out there. And let me tell you this, uh, understand this, for you that are 30 and 40, maybe in late 20s, you need to understand that what you are going, well, it's not that big of a deal. The next generation is going to go, we embrace it wholeheartedly. <laughs> and, and so what you're seeing is this, there's this huge contrast. Uh, we looked at Philadelphia last week. You know what you found about Philadelphia? God didn't say one negative thing about them. Look at those verses that we just read again. You know what you're going to find about Laodicea? God doesn't say one positive thing about them. And, and uh, let me just tell you, I, again, I'm going to say this. You need to understand that what we're living through, what we're watching right now is the falling away. Uh, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But before I do that, look down at verse number uh, 14. Verse number 14. Revelation 3, verse 14. Uh, look at the title that the Lord gives himself. These things saith thee what? All right, you know what that means? That, that basically means uh, let it be confirmed, let it be established. Uh, it, means, it means this, as a verb, to confirm, establish, verify. As an adjective, firm or stable. All right, uh, as a noun, something that is firm. You know what, you know what you're, you're, you're basically seeing there? Jesus Christ is the foundation of truth. He is our rock, Amen. And our rock is not as their rock. What the, what the world looks at for their stabilities is not who we look to for our stability. Our stability comes from absolute truth. And once you remove absolute truth, anything goes. Are you not seeing that right now in the world in which we live? All right. the, the, the reason why he starts off by saying, these things saith the amen, is because Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The Bible says, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, but who? Christ Jesus. He is our rock. Peter's not the rock, Jesus Christ is. All right? and, and so you need to understand, as the Lord gets us out, you say, why, is he, why does he go through this? Well, think about this. You get toward the end times, you know what you need? You need a rock. You need stability. You realize how unstable this world, guys, is today, it is a, a powder is a uh, powder keg getting ready to be ignited. It is so unstable financially when it comes to geopolitics. I mean, it just, just takes a little bit like this, and boom, the whole thing goes. And you go, well, what, does that mean, no, if there's a big war, that, that means we're in Armageddon? No, it doesn't mean that. The, the Bible, guys, Armageddon is going to be an event where Jesus Christ rides back on a white horse. The whole world's going to see it, all right? You will never have to guess when Armageddon takes place, all right? You may go, preacher, why are you mentioning this stuff? Because people come to me with stuff from stuff that they watch online that's not in the Bible at all, <laughs> all right? J just get in the book. When someone comes to me and goes, preacher, what do you think about this? And I go, where'd you hear that? <laughs> and I go, did you get it from your Bible? Oh, uh, well, like I looked it up after, you know, Dr. Snuffenbrush on YouTube talked about it, all right? That's not how you learn your Bible. You, you need to start by just reading it. And, and looking at it simply and going, God, what do you want for me to get? And Lord, who are you talking to in that passage? And what are you talking about? And where does that fit, Lord, as we rightly divide the Bible? Lord, I, that's, what, that's how you learn the Bible, not by getting on YouTube and just inundating your mind. By the way, if you do that, let me tell you something right now. You're going to be so confused. You're going to be very confused. And let me just throw out one more. I can just tell it's kind of like... I'm not saying you can never listen to good preaching on YouTube. There's great preaching online. All right, what I am saying is this. If you are picking and choosing everything that you want to listen to, 
Do you guys, God never designed the church to be that way? Do you know why you come to church and you go, ooh, why do you say that? Oh, could he say it a different way? You know why? Because God knows what you need. And when you start going on there and you start picking what you want, I want to learn about, for the next 10 hours, I want to learn about, I don't know, uh, uh, vampires on Jupiter and, and like aliens in Genesis 6. Come on, don't look at me like that. Everyone's been down the rabbit hole before. And you're like, I want to learn about that for the next 10 hours of my life. And how does that help you walk with God? And where does that help you in your marriage? And where does that help you raise children? And how does that help you resist temptation and say no to your flesh and deny yourself and be more like Jesus Christ? It doesn't. It inflates your ego and your brain, and that's about it. I'm not saying you can't learn about it. I'm telling you, when you choose to go, that's all I'm going to dive into, you know what you're doing? You're doing the very thing that Laodicea is all about. It's about me. It's about my rights. I make the choices. God's not the authority. I am. And let me tell you something. The reason why the church is weaker today than it was during the Philadelphia period is because the church is in the driver's seat. And Jesus Christ is on the outside. He says, I'm the amen. I'm the one bringing you this message. Uh, look what else he says about himself. Not only does he call himself the amen, uh, look at verse number uh, uh, 14, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. Can I say this? We all know the song. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Foolish man built his... Anybody with me? <laughs> Foolish man built his house upon the sand. And for those of you that weren't raised in church, you're like, and? <laughs> and the rain came tumbling down. The rain came... I'm just going to do it the whole way. And the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went splash. <laughs> right? Yeah. So then it goes to the guy that builds his house on the rock. On the rock. See, some of you, when you were raised, like, your jam was like Snoop Dogg. Like, this was Joe Stevens' jam, all right? <laughs> I'm trying to help you understand Joe right now, all right? All right? And, and, and so, so the rock brings stability. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. I'm glad the Lord doesn't change his mind, because if he did, he'd wake up and go, I don't want to save anymore. They're not faithful. I'm faithful. They're not faithful, so off with them. I'm thankful that he makes promises and keeps them. He is the most stable person you can be connected with. He's the faithful and true witness. And listen, you're foolish if you build anything on something else. And by the way, you know what's interesting about the church here, this church in Laodicea? Everything looks good. Rich, you guys realize what you did in the last hundred years? America. You traded Billy Sunday for Joel Olstein. Okay? That's, that you need to, if you don't know who Billy Sunday is, all right? I'll give you another one. You, you traded J. Frank Norris for T.D. Jakes. You don't even know who that is, do you? Some of you do, some of you don't. You know what J. Frank Norris did one time? He preached against liquor. He preached against liquor. And that community and the DA in that town wanted him dead. They actually had bullets in his, uh, holes in his church from trying to shoot him to shut him up about prohibition and all that stuff. And he's preaching the Bible and what the Bible says about liquor, blah, 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 blah. You know what that guy did? I don't know. Some of you are going to be grossed out by this. That DA that caused all kinds of hell for that church and that man died in a car accident drunk. And his brains were splattered all over the place. You know what the, one of the policemen did at the scene? Scooped it up, brought it to the preacher. You know what that preacher did? Preached a sermon with that. You go, oh, I never, I can't believe it. That'd probably be against the law nowadays. I'm sure it would be. But, but I'm just saying, like, that's what you traded for. I'm just so glad y'all here today. God just wants to do something inside of you. You don't even realize how good it is. 
now, 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 they, you laugh. They laugh at you because you're like at a church on the side of a bank. And listen to an archaic book from a guy that's running around spitting and, and stomping and yelling. And, and they think you're crazy. You think they're, they think the same of you. You know why? Because your value system is different. Now, now how, how did this all come about? How did we all find ourselves here where the Lord is on the outside and he's saying, look, uh, your house needs some attention. I was talking to one of my employees today and, and uh, she was telling me about her and her husband. They're, they're trying to get this house and everything was, everything, I thought they had it. I thought, anybody been down the house hunting scene? All right, let's do house hunters, all right? Let's do house hunters right now. You ready? We want an open floor plan. We want uh, 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 marble countertops. We want, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing, right? You're going through the whole list. And she went through the fact that they had everything that they wanted in this house, everything. It was renovated, new roof, new flooring, new appliances, new everything, paint floor, everything's just brand new. Then the inspector goes in, finds mold in the attic, finds a, a subfloor that was installed in the basement to cover up more damage, finds all kinds of, and it, a list goes on and on. The inspector goes, I would run for your life. <laughs> now, now, seriously, that's what he told him. He said, don't, don't, don't do this. Now, now, why am I mentioning this? Because a house can look good from the outside. Right. And it looks new and it's flashy. Yeah. But you don't realize what's going on behind the scenes unless you let the inspector inside. The problem is, when Jesus Christ is on the outside, and you're like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I love that. Give someone a gospel track. I'm good. No, you're not. So I'm trying to give it to you, I promise. Right? I'm good, I'm good. This is the age in which we live. I'm the, the I'm good age. And you're not good. And the only way to be good is to follow him. The only way to, to, to be good and be right is to let him in. <laughs> and the problem is, look, you know what, you know what uh, my employee Jasmine is saying? I am so thankful that that inspector saved us literally millions of dollars. You say, why? Because when you've got a loan that's this much uh, and it's put out for 30 years yeah. with interest, you know how much that is? Yeah. A lot more than you think it is. You know what that would have been? That would have been the bane of their existence if the inspector did not tell them, here are the problems with your house. The problem is we don't want someone poking around and opening doors and looking in the attic. Well, that, that's, I don't want you there. My wife doesn't know about that. My, my, my kids don't know about that. My, my parents don't know about that. I don't want anybody in there. God needs to go in the room to say, you've got a problem. Amen. And the issue is this. The church doesn't want the Lord involved. Let's make everyone else feel welcome. Let's make everyone else feel comfortable. And I want to make this very clear. I believe in hospitality. The Bible says you ought to be given hospitality. When people come to our church... After they probably circled the parking lot for a while going, there's a church here? I think there's a church here. The GPS says I've arrived, but all I see is a bank right now. Amen? Yeah. Listen, one of the, the only advantage I can think of right now, guys, is we have an ATM right over there. Yeah. So someone's like, oh, man, brother, I forgot my checkbook. That's okay, just right over there. <laughs> but, but honestly, guys, when someone fights trying to find us, and, and, and they finally make it here, and they come inside, and they don't know where they're at, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go out of our ways to be hospitable and to be servants unto them. I believe that with all of my heart. That does not mean when someone walks in and says, hey, we need to update this. We need to change the music. Why are we reading that archaic book? How can we have preaching? Why don't we have a jam session for 45 minutes? We don't change for that. Amen. You see the difference? Love and hospitality is one thing. Changing who you are. And buddy, it happened pretty fast. Pretty fast. You say, why'd that happen? Um, the word apostle. Why don't you look at what's in the word apostle? Do you guys, can you guys see that? Post. All right? 
So, so now when we say post, you go, oh yeah, they put it online. No, no, we used to think that was a stamp. <laughs> a post office sends things in the mail with a stamp, right? And so an apostle is one that is sent by the Lord. But this word right here, apostasy, you know what it means? It means you weren't sent by God, you fell away from the Lord. Now look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. By the way, I want to make this very clear. I know some good Christian people. Um, I mean good. I mean they're givers and they love God and they even witness. Uh, good Christian people uh, that, that don't go to a Bible-leading church like we have here. I don't think that we are better than anyone. And if you think that for a moment, you got it wrong. We are, if anything, we are to count ourselves blessed that we have the Bible and we can stand on it and know that it is our final authority. All right? That doesn't mean that out of pride we look down on those that don't have what we have. All right, look at John chapter number one. John chapter one. Where did I tell you to go? That's what I meant. Second Thessalonians chapter two. You guys need to keep up. Come on, guys. Second Thessalonians chapter two. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Forgive me. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, look at verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together in him. What would that be? That's the rapture. Okay. So look at verse two. That ye be not soon shaken in mind. So you may not know this, but... What Paul was addressing was an issue in the Thessalonian church. There were people that were coming in going, the Lord's already come. You've been left behind. All right? And so saying that the resurrection had already taken place and that they had been left. And so Paul's coming in trying to clear up that heresy. That's what Paul does for like pretty much all of his ministries. He goes around going, yeah, no, that's not right. No, no, no. Here's what God actually said, right? And, and so this is what's going on. He tells them to not be shaken in mind or be troubled, verse 2, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of what? Christ. Not the day of the Lord. That's a different thing. If you study your Bible, you'll find out the day of the Lord is an Old Testament reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ when the Lord speaks from heaven and comes down and establishes his kingdom on the earth. The day of the Lord is not the same as the day of Christ. You've got to make that distinction. He says the day of Christ is at hand, which is connected with the judgment seat of Christ and the rapture. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The day of Christ. That day shall not come except those 10 signs that that preacher on YouTube mentioned. Right? The Illuminati. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Bilderbergers. Yeah. You don't even know about them, do you? Some of you go home and go, Bilderberger. Not, you know, whatever. All this stuff that people got to get glued to on YouTube. I have very little patience for it if you can't tell. Because what it does is it gets you off the mark. And you start walking around talking more about the Illuminati than you do with Jesus Christ himself. And that's a problem. You say, what happens? Well, when you do that, Jesus Christ is on the outside. See, you think Laodicea is just like, like modern Christians that aren't like you. That's what you think Laodicea is. You know what Laodicea is? It's in you. It's in me. It's I want what I want. You know what, you know what this word means? Laos. That's, that's a Latin. You know what that means? It means people. Lao, people. Decia. Brother Tony, derechos. Rights. It means the rights of the people. So you know what the lady seeing church is more interested in? Politics than the kingdom of God. And some of you will fight about Trump or Biden or, you know, this guy can't walk five steps or whatever and go on all these arguments with people online and fight about politics when that's not your kingdom, guys. Jesus Christ said, my kingdom is not now of this world, John chapter 18. You want to get involved in that? Fine. But let me ask you this. Is it going to make you a better witness for Jesus Christ? 
I'm not saying not to vote. I'm not saying not to be in a, you know, exercise. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that stuff. But I'm going to say this. The church in the end times is more concerned about what it wants than what Jesus Christ wants. Can I ask you a question? Did Jesus Christ get involved in politics when he was here? Did the apostles get involved in politics when he was here, when they were here? Uh, did Paul the Apostle, I mean, you go, well, you know, there was that one time where they whipped him, and he, he mentioned he was a Roman uh, citizen. Yeah, I get that, but I'm going to tell you right now, Paul did not go march for life. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying he didn't go and go, you know what, this is my cause. You know what his cause was? Jesus Christ and the gospel. And the Laodicean church is about pretty much entertainment, politics, anything other than the main thing being the main thing. And so the Lord tells us there's going to be a falling away. There's going to be an apostasy before the Lord comes back. You say, where does that take place? It takes place right here in the church of Laodicea. Now, you may go, well, what, what was it exactly that caused that? Well, back around 1881, and you may go, well, I don't believe this is what caused it. Well, this is what kicked it off. There are catalytic events to things. You understand that, right? All right, well, the thing that kicked it off in the late 1800s was we don't have a final authority. We can make our own authority. So the Revised Version of England came out. Then in 1901, the American Standard Version came out. and You've got 900 Bibles now. And you go, well, I don't think that's a big deal. Knock yourself out. Believe whatever you want to believe. But I'm going to tell you this. The reason why, if you say it's not a big deal, what, that we, that we could just pick whatever you want. Pick whatever you want. If you can do that as a Christian, you have no right to tell a trans person that they're wrong. You say, why? Because they're just picking what they want. Oh, no, that's against the Bible. You don't think picking what you want about God's words is also not against the Bible? Like, some of you are just, you're hypocrites about it. You're, if you tell your kids what to do, and then they don't do it, and you come back and go, did I tell you? And they say, well, my interpretation was. <laughs> You'd be upset about that. And yet you come to church and go, it's not a big deal. Look, this is, to me, it's not, a, uh, it's not a King James issue. That's not the issue. The issue is, do we have what God said or not? And, and, and listen, once you open this door, do you know what happens? Man, you've got, no, you've got no absolutes. Do you realize what this, you know what happened in this time frame? Evolution becomes popular. Communism is introduced. Socialism, World War I, World War II, the sexual revolution of the 60s, uh, all kinds of perversion. Uh, the, the modern charismatic movement. You say, where all this stuff, what, what's the connection? What's the one common thread? No authority. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And you say, what does that end up doing? You know what it ends up doing? It ends up putting Jesus Christ on the outside of the church. Going, hey guys, remember when you guys all could, well look, I'm not, again, I'm getting all the disclaimers because I'm sure someone's watching or here that may not like this. I don't think because you have the King James Bible that you are better than someone that does not have it. I, don't be, I believe you could get saved by reading NIV. Yeah. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can find it there. But I'm going to ask you this. When it comes to living the Christian life and knowing God, should I not have a final authority that can go, this is what God said, I know it. Yeah. Now, you may not think that's a big deal. Do you realize over in, uh, look at John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1. This is where I was going earlier. Look at John chapter 1. Now, if someone walks out and goes, they're always talking about that. I'm going to challenge you. Look for the last time we've talked about this. We did a series on it last year, and that was the first time in 14 years that I've ever done a series on that subject. You know why? Because people had questions about it. I'm not here to ride a hobby horse, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't stick with that book, buddy, anything goes. Anything goes. You say, why? Because you can, if I don't like that translation, I just pick the one that I like. And, and, and I'll say it like this. That's not how the words of God operate. 
That's not how good words God operate. Uh, John chapter 1, and look, if you would, at verse number 18. Now, no, look at verse 3 first. Who, who is Jesus Christ? He's the creator. When it says he's the beginning of the creation of God, that does not mean he's a created being. Do you realize the Jehovah's Witnesses in their New World Translation? Do you know what they do in John? Look at chapter 1, look at verse 18. And you know what's interesting? Words matter. Sure they do. You don't believe that? Go to watch a court case. Words matter, man. Every word of God is pure. Is it is or it isn't? You either have the words of God or you don't. I, 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 I want to read this to you because I think it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Are you looking for a good or maybe the best Bible translation? On a Bible website or app, if you find yourself scrolling through abbreviations like NIV, NLT, NASB, ESV, NET, CSB, and wondering what the difference is between them, in the end, no single version of the Bible will perfectly capture every thought and nuance communicated through the Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic writing in our available manuscripts. So you know what that means? You don't know what God said. Because the originals aren't here. And at least they're honest enough to say the originals aren't here. When someone goes in the originals, I go, which one? Which family? Which line of manuscripts? You know what they don't realize is they've been just parroting stuff they've read online. Rather than attempting to identify the most accurate or best translation, we like, we like scholars can learn to read and compare different versions in order to gain a deeper, fuller understanding of Scripture. Let's dive in. Well, let me give you an example why that, that's not true. Look at John chapter 1, look at verse 18. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten what? That word in Greek is kreos. Kreos. It is not this word. All right? Uh, theos. It's not that word. All right? I'm going back to some serious man, Bible school Greek here. All right, if I got the accent mark, it might go that way. Forgive me, but it's an H sound. This is sun. Okay? This is God. Can you spell? Can you see the difference? All right, well, guess what? There are Bibles that say the only begotten God. My God wasn't created. If you don't even know what that means, just stop for a moment. Begotten God means he, he was made. Jesus Christ was not made. He is God. Before Abraham was, I am. All right? And, and so you go, oh, it's no big deal. They just changed these and those. No, that's not true. They changed things. Why? To line up with their beliefs. Well, guess what? You may not believe this. There are Bibles that make God female. Why not? Why not? Why not just say she? Why not just say uh, the universe? There are Bibles that literally change God to neuter. We don't want any reference to him being a man. So we're going to change all those references. Why not? Why would you say that it's okay to choose this one, but it's not okay to choose that one? See, now you're being the judge. When the reality is there either are the words of God that we have available today or they are not. And if we have them, they exist somewhere. And you gotta, it's your job to find them. I think I got them. <laughs> I think I got them right there. <laughs> now you can choose whatever you want. But that said, you know what kicks off the, 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 the age that spirals into apostasy? It's, it's scholars saying we can rewrite this and we can make it easier and we can make it better. And, we can, and you know what you have now? You got chaos. Did you ever think, I'm going to be 43. I never thought I would live to see a man pretend to be a woman and then be allowed to swim on a high school girls team. Now guess what? If there is no if there are no absolutes, come on guys, let's be honest. There's one savior. There's one way to God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And God does all this one stuff and all of a sudden it's like, well, just find something that works for you. I don't think that's how God operates. 
And so what you see here is this. Man, when this happens, Katie, bar the door, you've got trouble coming. You've got the downfall of Western civilization. The same people that brought you the, the, the Reformation and the Renaissance and all the Industrial Revolution and all that stuff that takes place uh, uh, here and here, boy, they're going down. Now we're exporting to the rest of the world that a man can be a woman and vice versa. Well, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from the church. The Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, before we go out in the left field and start chasing the people that we don't agree with and we think they're wrong because of all the sexual perversion and rightfully so, before we go off in that field, I want to say this. This is not a message for them. It's a message for us. To go, how are you making your choices? Are you, as Miss Lenny said, surrendered? Will you go, well, I know what the Bible says, but I've watched Christians now for, man, the, probably the majority of my life, I guess, at this point. I got saved when I was 13, so this is almost 30 years. And I've been watching Christians, and it's funny. It's an interesting thing. They'll go so far, and then once the Lord does something that they don't agree with, it's like, let me just shove him out the house and lock the door. Oh, and they're saved. They're still going to heaven when they die. I don't like it when people go, well, I'm just not sure if they're saved. Well, let me just say this. I'm not sure I'm always saved either, right? I mean, if we're going to go down that road, if you're going to judge things by how stupid people are sometimes, you can't do that. Do you wake up feeling saved every day? Some of you are like, yes, I do. Well, <laughs> praise the Lord. We are glad that you're here as well, all right? The rest of us don't always. What I'm getting at is this. You don't base your life on your feelings. Yes. You base it on truth. Amen. And you know what you have? You have absolute truth in the amen of Jesus Christ. Now, in these last days, what you have is you have a falling away. You have an apostasy. And what that does is it gets the world. You go, you go the, the world, we need to you know, get the right guy in office and do this and that. The only thing that's going to change this world, you know what it's going to be? Guys, the only thing that's going to change this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. You look around this room, we've got some, some young folks that have gotten saved and, and rescued out of some garbage. Uh, go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We've got some people here that, 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 man, they're going downtown and preaching on the street and witnessing the, anything that moves, you know? And sometimes things that don't move, they're asleep downtown or whatever, and, and they're out there. And listen, a year, two, three years ago, man, they would have been downtown not preaching. Are you with me right now? Well, what is that? What changed them? What it was is the Word of God. All right? And, and what happens is when you allow the Word of God to work and you say, okay, Lord, I will allow you into my house of my own free will, things change. Now, what happens in the last days is the church becomes all about people. The people the people, the people, the people. Got to make people happy. Got to make people happy. Look, I want people to be happy. I'm just like you. I want people to like me. I want to be liked by people, but not at the cost of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and let me tell you, I know some of you have had to face some hard things with your own family because they're going in this direction and Jesus is going in that direction. And I, 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 I'm telling you, for those that have stuck by the stuff, praise God for you. That's a blessing. It's encouraging to other people. But let me just say this much. You will not stand before your family someday. You'll look in the eyes of Jesus Christ. 1 Samuel chapter 13, you say, what's going on here? Well, you know what Saul's excuse was for getting ahead of the Lord and offering up a sacrifice that only the priest should be offering? He was supposed to wait on Samuel. I'm guessing Samuel's part, part Latino. He's late, you know, and maybe he's Puerto Rican. I don't know. Samuel, Samuel, you know. But, but he's late. He's late. At least in Saul's eyes, he's late. Look at 1 Samuel 13. And so what does Saul do? Well, I, I gotta, the, the preacher didn't show up, and God didn't work when I expected him to do so. I had to do it myself. Look at verse 
Number 11. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the... Man, you make really foolish choices when you make them based on people. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 8. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the what? Were scattered from. You know what Saul felt like? He was losing control of the people. And if I don't have control of them, then I don't have their praise. Therefore, I've got to do something. I've got to step in. i got to, why? People. Got to make them happy. Look at 1 Samuel 15. This is the demise of Saul's life. Look at 1 Samuel 15. And what I'm saying is this is the age in which we live where everything is about the people and what do people want and what makes them happy versus what makes God happy. Do, do you realize that if you make God happy, you'll make the right people happy? Yeah. You ever consider that? Versus trying to chase people's happiness. You will be miserable trying to make everybody happy. You will eventually have to choose who you want to make happy in your life. Look at 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Look if you would at verse number 14. Why did Saul spare the best when God told him to wipe all of Agag out? All the Amalekites. Wipe it out. Wipe it out. Why did he do that? Look at 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse number 14. And Samuel said, what meaneth then? <laughs> you got you to look back at verse 13. You know what Saul says? I did everything God asked me to do. I have performed the word of the Lord. Uh, you know, like, you know, I've, I've had those moments as a preacher where I'm like, what are you doing? I prayed about it. <laughs> okay, which, who are you praying to? Because what you're doing ain't scriptural. Right. You, know, you, know, you know what Samuel says in verse number 14? If you did what God asked you to do, how come I hear, oh, that, oh, you know what? I just remembered, yes. We did spare the sheep that you're right, but let me explain why. Uh, look at verse number 15. And Saul said, they have brought them. Who's he pointing the finger at? The people. Look at verse number 21. But the, he's like, I, it was the pressure from the people. Do you guys remember? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Exodus 32. The preacher leaves the assistant pastor in charge and they're related. That's already a problem. Moses and Aaron are brothers. And, and the way this whole Exodus thing starts off is Moses is like, I can't, I, I don't, I'm not a good speaker. And, 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 and I, I just please let, let someone come with me. And the Lord's like, fine, I'll let Aaron come. I guarantee to you when Moses is coming down that mountain, he's like, why did I ever ask for this? Right? Sometimes God giving you what you want is the worst thing you can get. And Aaron is sitting there, and, and Aaron, <laughs> just in my mind, I could just see like Moses running, shattering the commandments, throwing those tablets down, and just, what are you doing? And Aaron's like, whoa, step back, bro. <laughs> step back. You don't understand. You left me with this local mob, man. You went up the mountain. They're like, where's he at, bro? Where's he at? I'm like, I don't know, right? He's gone for more than a month. If I, was go if I disappeared for a month, wouldn't you guys be like, where's the pastor? <laughs> well, that's what's happened. And so you know what happens? Aaron's feeling the pressure from what? The people. You know, Moses says, what did the people cause you to do? And you know what Aaron says? Oh, you know these people. <laughs> True story. Look it up, Exodus 32. <laughs> now, you know what the problem is? When you live for this and you don't live for this. And you got to make that choice, Christian. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, if you live for this, you'll be this. Oh, no, 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 my church teaches the right doctrine. You can be a Laodicean Christian in a good church. You know who makes the choice whether or not you're Laodicean or Philadelphian? You. You. Was not this the church of the open door? (laughs) This is the church of the closed door. In one generation, look at the flip. This is the church where the Lord's in the driver's seat going, here's where we're going, guys, let's go. This is the church where the Lord's like, hey, uh, remember me? Kind of the main character. It's kind of like at Christmas time, you know, you exchange all these gifts, you know. We're celebrating the birth of the Savior. He just spent $5,000 on credit cards. <laughs> and no, 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 no gift for the birthday boy. It's weird, isn't it? You know where Jesus Christ is at here? He's on the outside. You know what I love about this, though? Look back at Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. They're lukewarm. You said, was that noncommittal? Can I, can I say something that I'm, I'm, I'm asking graciously, and I mean this sincerely? Like, don't say I'm going to try to come to church. Okay? You may go, well, preacher, you're being kind of hard. You don't try to go to work. <laughs> you don't try to pay your taxes. If some of you do, I'll see you in jail. We'll have a jail ministry there for you. All right? All right, you pay your taxes, you go to work, you do things that you don't necessarily want to do, but you know that they're right to do. And then when it comes to church, oh, I'll try to make it, preacher. We got, we got a brother that's going to come our way on a Friday and a Saturday. This is not a guilt thing. I'm just trying to get you to think a little bit. And you go, oh, man, I've been working all week. What about the people that do come to church? They haven't been working all week? You, you say, what is that? Just noncommittal. I just don't want to commit. It's just too much. You say, what is that, lukewarm? See, see, you think Laodicea is Calvary Chapel. No, it's you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's us. It's me. It's, it's this attitude of like, whatever. <laughs> Remember the 90s? Whatever. <laughs> I'm dating myself right now. This, and the, I know Miss Denise is like, yeah, I, uh-huh. I see you whispering your daughter trying to educate her right now. <laughs> Loser, you know, that thing. The, the attitude of our generation is just whatever. I don't really care. How do you watch, how is it that you see children videotaping someone getting stabbed? Just, I don't care. Eh, seen it, whatever. You're living in the whatever generation. You should be different. You can be different. You don't have to be laid in. You don't have to go with the flow. You know, I, I think it's interesting that you have this strange dichotomy. You got this contrast where the Lord says, you're lukewarm, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, you're wretched. <laughs> like, we've had visitors come to our church that I can tell are not, like, they're, some I've seen come, like, oh, this is great, oh, this is a blessing, praise the Lord. And I've seen some come, they're like, <laughs> I say amen before the second syllable is a pew. Kind of looks like the rapture happened for a moment. You say, why, man, this is, I'm getting out of here. You can just tell this was not their cup of tea. Now, why is that? Why is it that one person go, man, I'm just on the edge of my seat. I can't get enough. And one person's like, I'm here. Bless me if you can. You know what it is? It's perspective. Now, the church itself thought they were all right. Rich, increased with goods. I don't need anything. And, I mean, I can imagine if someone left a visitor card and said, hey, you're preaching stinks or whatever else, and, you know, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, that's 
sorry, you know. But if the Lord comes and leaves a visitor card and says, hey, you're wretched. <laughs> Can you imagine a visitor coming like, yeah, you guys are wretched. <laughs> he was the visitor that visited that church and said, this is my assessment. Yeah. Right? And you can't see. Blind. Oh, I got, I, I got 20-20. Talking about spiritually. And the Lord goes, look, there, you see things differently than I do. Because I don't want you to get to my judgment seat and be bankrupt. I want you to have something to show for it. I want you to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So he says, I don't, I don't want you being poor. I don't want you being blind. I don't want you being naked. You say, what's, what's the resolution of this? Well, look down if you would at verse number, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Remember when the, the Lord is there watching everyone give their money and uh, that widow woman gives those two mites, right? And you're like, I don't even know what a mite is, but it sounds really small, right? And, and the Lord just says she gave more than everybody else. Remember that? And the disciples are like, whoa, where'd you get your math lesson from, Lord? You know, like, how did you come up with that? And the Lord's value system is different than ours. And I think that's the lesson you get from this passage is that sometimes when the house looks good on the outside, the Lord's like, I don't care about the exterior as much as I do the interior and behind the walls and under the subfloor. I want to look at that. Look what he says here in verse number, there's a remedy. Look at verse number 18. He says, buy gold. Buy gold. You know what that is? It ain't crypto, all right? It's gold. All right, buy, and if you like crypto, knock yourself out. I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, he's saying gold. You see why gold never loses its value. It continues to increase over time. Now, keep your hand there. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. You know everybody wants? Everybody wants the end of Miss Lenny's story. But man, getting there is a tough one, isn't it? How do, you, how do you buy gold? Salvation's not bought. Salvation's a gift, amen? amen? But there are things in the Christian life that if you want them, they will cost you something. And I think oftentimes we look at someone where, where God has, has worked in their life and we see the, the, the miraculous things that God's done and, and the hand of God on them. We go, I want that. Like Jacob, I want that blessing. All right, here's what it takes. Well, I don't want to pay that. That's what it takes. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse number six. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why? That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of what? He likens the trying of your It's like when Job says, He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And isn't it interesting that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, if any man build this foundation, gold is the first element, silver and precious stones. The Lord is telling you, look, if you want to get some real riches, it's not where you think you're going to find it. You're going to find it up there. You're going to go through some things down here and stay in fellowship with me and not kick me out once the trials get too hard. Like the church of Laodicea did. He says, anoint your eyes with eye salve. You say, what is that a picture of? Letting the Lord put his hands on you. You remember that story? Go back to Revelation 3. As you turn there, we're wrapping this up. We're laying in the plane. You might remember the story of the blind man. 
that the Lord heals. Remember the story where he makes spittle on the ground? Now, imagine you're blind, and all you hear is, (laughs) (laughs) and then you hear someone mess with the dirt on the ground, and then you hear them, listen, when you have one sense that's not there, your other senses are heightened. So when, you're, when, you're, when you can't see, oftentimes, the, the sense of hearing, you guys talk to Brother Chris sometimes, man, I can just walk by and he'll put his hand out. He knows. He's just used to listening and, and feeling for some emotion and all that. Man, that blind guy must have been thinking to himself, what is going on? Someone just spit on the ground, they scooped it up, and now I feel hands coming toward me. <laughs> you never think about this stuff, right? And you know what that man did? For the rest of his life, he could see. Let me ask you a question. Uh, wouldn't you rather go to a nice, clean office and they do LASIK surgery, they do some kind of you know, surgery with lasers and it's clean and it's, you know, it's kosher. You don't want some guy spitting on you, but you know what? Sometimes, listen to me, sometimes what you look at and go, that's, that's not something I want on my eyes. God goes, yeah, but that's how you're going to see. He wants to anoint your eyes with eye salve. And he says, Let, let's, let's put some clothes on. White raiment is the fine linen. Uh, the, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Over, and if you're taking notes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul talks about uh, being clothed with the house. You don't have to turn there. Being clothed in our house, lest we be found naked. Talking about the fact that when you get there, you want to be completely clothed, and not just in a, in, a, in, a, in a reference to the righteousness of Christ, but the things that you did in this life has an effect on how you appear at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me say this, it's far better to understand that all things are open and naked with the one with whom we have to do and just let him deal with you as things are and let him in the house so that when you get there, you're fully clothed. Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I I think what I find hope is in verse 19 and 20. A lot of the other stuff is kind of disappointing. I like verse 20. You know why? He says this, if any man will. You know what that tells me? Anyone that's willing to open the door, you'll have fellowship with him. Regardless of what everyone else is doing. Regardless of what all the fads are and all the, fa- the trends are, the Lord says, you know what? It doesn't matter. If you're willing to open the door, I'll come in and fellowship with you. You know what I pray for our church? That this church is filled with people who say, Lord, come on in. Lord, come on in. Lord, we want you to sit right here, right front and center. Lord, we want you in the middle. We don't want anybody else in the middle. We want you. You say, why? Because that's the best life. That's the life that's rewarded in heaven. That's the life where you see glory. That's the life where even when there's trials, you go, man, I see God in that person. I see the Lord working in that. You say, what is that? That's someone that opens the door and says, regardless of what the rest of the world is doing, I want fellowship with Jesus Christ. My question to you tonight is this, do you? He says, you can be an overcomer. Chapter 4. Verse 1. You know how we're going to end this? We're going to end talking about the seven churches with chapter 4. You see why? This is really profound because 4 comes after 3. Amen? Look at verse 1. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. After he just talks about the church that didn't have a door that was open, he says, look, anytime that you want to have fellowship with me, I'll be ready. A door opened in heaven and watch this. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talk with me which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must come after. You know, I think the Lord, even in Laodicea, is going, hey, you want to let me in? If you'll let me in, 
I'll open a door up there and I'll call you out. He knows his sheep by name. I can't wait for this day, guys. I think it's going to be soon. Oh, they've been saying that for a long time. I'll die saying it because I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. I have more hope of that than the Dallas Cowboys returning the Super Bowl. <laughs> amen, amen, and amen. All right? You know where my hope's at? That's the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. But can I, can I give you a little practical nugget that he, where he starts talking in chapter 4, verse 1 about the rapture? Let me just give you this. He wants to show his children things. But it's on them to be willing to take the open door. It's on them to be willing to open the door. When you find an area of your life where he's on the outside and you've been calling the shots and you've been deciding, that's where you go, okay, Lord, I'm done. I'm done ignoring the knock at the door. I think I told the story before. My dad got saved later in life. And so, you know, when the Mormons would come by the door and I was home from Bible school, or the Jehovah's Witnesses would come by one time, I heard a knock at the door and I was downstairs and my dad goes, Adrian. And I said, what? Puede ser que es un amigo de iglesia. He's like, it might be a friend from church. And I run up the stairs. I'm like, he lied to me. <laughs> it was a Jehovah's Witness. A couple of them, a couple of Mormons. It was a couple of Mormons. That's who it was. And, and I'll never forget that. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. I was like, dad, you dirty dog. <laughs> Did me dirty. Now, now listen, when the Lord's knocking at the door, you can be sure who's on the other side. Is he knocking? You hear him knocking? If the rest of the world doesn't, you ought to. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come to you tonight. Lord, I know it's been a long night. Thank you for the time and the word. Lord, thank you for the testimony tonight. Lord, it was encouraging. We needed it. And God, we just want to come to you the right way. We want to close this thing the right way. Lord, as we've been looking at these seven churches and trying to learn some things from you and your nature, God, help us not to be Laodicean by ignoring the fact that, Lord, it's very easy for us to be the ones in the driver's seat and kick you out. Lord, our, our minds are, we think everyone else is Laodicea and we ignore the Laodicea in us. Lord, I just pray to help us to assess that tonight the right way. Pray the Spirit of God would, would, would convict Lord, and show the areas in which, Lord, we can draw closer to you and fellowship with you. And, and rather than, Lord, putting you on the outside, Lord, bringing you in closer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The Lord spoke to you. The altar's open. You know, well, it's Wednesday night. It's Bible study. I'm not going to limit the Lord. You shouldn't either. If the Lord's dealt with you. Move. Move. What are you waiting for? Him to knock the door down? <laughs> the Lord spoke to you. The altar's open. We're not going to rush it. You guys are rushed everywhere else. Every once in a while, you just, man, take the moment. We want to be Philadelphian Christians living in Laodicea. You say, why? Because we can be. We make those choices. I'll give you a real for instance. Tomorrow morning, the Lord's going to knock, and uh, you're going to hit the snooze button. Come on, let's be real. And the Lord's going to knock. And you're going to pick up your phone. And the Lord's going to knock and you're going to scroll. Maybe it's time to go, okay. Lord, I, I want to hear from you. I want to make room for you. I know this much. 
If you fill your house, God's a gentleman. He won't barge in. I also know this. Anyone that's willing and humble enough to say, Lord, I want to make room for you, he'll come in. He'll come in. He'll fellowship with you. I have some great friends in this life, but I have no greater friend than Jesus Christ. And I pray that our church is a church that sees the value of fellowship with him before the people. Some of you are going to find tomorrow pressure from people. Maybe some of them even mean well. I'm not saying they're all evil, but pressure from people to move you in a direction that's not, not where the Lord wants you. You have to respond to that the right way. I love it when Mary and Joseph find the Lord and he just says, wished you not? Didn't you know? <laughs> I must be by my father's business. Why? Because that's priority. So many amazing things that we read throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, but I find these seven churches so, to me, interesting because I, I think we can see ourselves in these churches. And, and we live in a time of Laodicea. But I want to remind you the hope that I have is in verse 20. If any man, any man, whoever's willing to go, I'll open the door. I'll open the door. Lord, come on in. Need my blessed Savior, I surrender Appreciate that. Let's close in order of prayer. Thanks for coming out tonight. Pray the Lord spoke to you and maybe showed you something through this series we've done. Uh, next Wednesday night, i uh, going to do something a little bit different. Well, I say different, uh, not super different. We've done it before, but kind of a break between our series. I uh, would like for you to think about Bible questions that you have. We'll do question and answers next Wednesday night. And then after that, we're going to start a, a new series on stewardship, uh, what the Bible says, and specifically about finances. And I'll just tell you right now, it's not, it's not all about giving. Some of it has to do with how to save. What does the Bible say about that? And diligence and character. And, and in essence, things that in many cases our, our generation doesn't know a whole lot about. And we could go back to the book and learn some things. Amen? So uh, be here for that. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. And I'm going to ask Brother Mark Lang if you close out in a word of prayer, brother. Good to see you tonight. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.